Pastor James Boyce tells a story of walking into a diner in the 60s in Decatur, Georgia. And there uh, over top of the doorway was a sign, Jesus is coming again. But right underneath the sign, it said, another sign, we reserve the right to serve or refuse anybody. Something seemed so wrong about the juxtaposition of those two signs. But anybody who knows anything about the the 60s in Decatur, Georgia, knows that that sign was loaded with all kinds of unfortunate meaning. But as I was thinking about that particular diner, I was thinking about how often those two signs really match our own hearts. We love to talk about Jesus coming again. We love to talk about our salvation. Yay, Jesus! But hiding in our hearts is this whole idea that we reserve the right to refuse service to our Lord. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue on in our journey. I, I want to stress the issue that Paul is stressing that Christianity is not simply a lofty ideal. It is not a philosophy. It is not to be treated as some sort of discussion point with endless philosophical musings gathered together at Mars Hill for some mystic mosh pit. But rather, Christianity is how the rubber hits the road of living in the kingdom of Christ. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear to us, framing his entire letter from a particular verse in chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that word conduct, by the way, is... um, is a word that they would have used for citizenship or citizen. Literally saying here, whatever happens, be a phenomenal citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be a tremendous representative in your behavior, in your lifestyle of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is not just an idea, it's a lifestyle. It's an entirely different and change lifestyle. Be good citizens of the new kingdom, of your new kingdom membership. Out of that statement comes a couple of questions, I think. Why? Now, you may not be asking that question, but, but inside there is this, I, I, I want to know, why, why is this so important? And the second question is, is how can I? And the short answer on the why is because Because you are, unless you aren't, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, unless you aren't, or, and and the answer to how is because you can, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. 
So I want to read a text this morning. I want to do a little overlap from last week and then break into some new stuff this, this morning as well. But I want to start at, at verse 17 of chapter 3 and I want to read right through to verse uh, 5 of chapter 4. So if your Bibles are open to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example. Not just my philosophy, not my beliefs, not what I, what I just talk about, <clears throat> but the example of how I live. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship, that same word back in 127, our conduct, our citizenship, is in heaven. And we eagerly, eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will promise, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Isn't that a great promise? Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. How would you like to have the name Syntyche? Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Well, this is the word of God for us this morning. And um, I want to begin in the text near the very end and in effect put the laser pointer on the answer to the question why all right why should we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel why should we be outstanding citizens in the kingdom of Christ and the answer is found in this little phrase that Paul slips into his letter, and it's almost unnoticed as we read through, at the end of verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. This is an incredible statement. Whose names are in the book of life. Do you realize, brothers and sisters in Christ, that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your name is in the book that God has recorded, the book of life. This salvation we preach, this salvation we proclaim, this salvation we claim to have is a very personal salvation. And uh, through, throughout, of course, this theme runs throughout the scriptures. I want to give you just a little background of, uh, of the many places where a book is, is, is um, is uh, discussed in the scriptures. 
in, in the Old Testament, there's an Old Testament book of life in Exodus 32, 32, Psalm 69, 28, Isaiah 4, 3. It, it, it talks about the, the temporal rights of the Jewish citizenship. They are recorded in a, their book of life. And then in Psalm 139, there's the book of lifespan. Do you realize that every single day of your life is recorded in God's book of lifespan? And he knows the exact day of your departure from here. Each day is recorded and is established and set by a purposeful God. In Daniel 7.10, Revelation 10.20, there is the book of the record of wrongs. When we stand before God, he knows everything and records everything. And then finally and gloriously, in Revelation 21-27, it is called the Lamb's Book of Life, which is what Paul is referring to here. In fact, in fact it's recorded in Luke 10-20, uh, Philippians 4-3 here, Hebrews 12-22-23, and multiple times in Revelation, Revelation 3, 5, Revelation 13, 8, Revelation 17, 8, Revelation 20, 12, and 15, Revelation 21, 27. It's recorded all over. The Lamb's book of life. In fact, Jesus in Luke 10 and 20 said to his disciples, don't be excited about the fact that the demons run away from you. Be excited about the fact that your name is written in the book of life. This is something that should really stir up our hearts to know about what God has done for us. And perhaps you need to see a little more with your own eyes. So would you join me in the, in the book of Revelation? I want to show you a couple of things here about this truth. Revelation 17 verse 8. This is described here when we come to the description of the end of time and, and uh, when all kinds of, of difficult things are happening. We pick up in verse 8 that, that uh, the, the counter to our God, the counter to our Savior, the beast, which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction... The inhabitants of the earth, or literally earth dwellers, are contrasted with those whose names have not been written, or, or are those whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, uh, will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. So there's this negative description that, that those who remain as earth dwellers and beast lovers contrasting those who love the Lord, do not have their names written in the book of life from the creation of the world. So you need to understand or realize that this discussion or this description of having your name written in the Lamb's book of life is the record of those chosen for salvation from eternity past. There's no... Um, uh, it seems abundantly clear to me how this is described. Ten times in the New Testament, when we read the phrase um, uh, from the creation of the world, it is with reference to uh, bef the, the, 
before the creation of the visible. We're at the creation of the visible. So at the very beginning, the names of those who would be called as citizens into the kingdom of Christ were recorded by a purposeful God. And those who would remain earth dwellers and rejectors of the Lord were not written in the book. In Revelation 13, 8, we get the flip side of this that I hope will grip your heart perhaps even more. In chapter 13, there is this discussion about how the, the beast, the, the antichrist, the, the uh, uh, antithesis of our Christ, our Savior, is doling out all kinds of signs and wonders and, and authority and power and seeking to counterfeit the things of the Lord and attract people to those things. And then in verse 8 it says, All the inhabitants of the earth, again earth dwellers, those who reject, will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Do you notice the subtle but significant theological difference to the phraseology here? In 17 it talks about those people whose names were not recorded in the book of life before, from the creation of the world. Now it talks about those names in reference to the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. In other words, at the beginning, when our purposeful God was laying out His eternal plan for us, the plan of Calvary was also laid out. In other words, God went ahead with creation. God went ahead with the creation of human beings, knowing full well that Calvary would have to occur, that the Son of God would go to the cross of Calvary and die for those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. This is an amazing, amazing motivator for us. When we ask the question, why should I be offering myself as a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Why should I be passionate about conducting my life in a way that, that represents my Lord and Savior well and, and, and causes the gospel to become attractive? Because your name... You personally, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you personally were recorded by our God in the Lamb's book of life, knowing full well that His Son would give His life for you. That ought to shake us emotionally in a new way. So we respond to this kind of behavior call in our life. Therefore, theologically, not to enter into salvation. We're not conducting ourselves in a way that honors God to, to gain favor with God and gain salvation. From the beginning, we have been called to salvation. We conduct ourselves this way not to enter in, but because we already are in. And we recognize the grace 
that purchased our salvation and recorded our names in the Lamb's book of life. So our response is vigorous or should be. Holy living is not how we work our way into acceptance with God. It is how we reveal that we really do belong to Him. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Reverse Thunder, writes this, Holy living is the action by which we express in our behavior and speech the love and presence of our Christ. Listen again. Holy living, holy living is the action, the action by which we express in our behavior and speech the love and presence of our Christ. So God chose by His grace to make His salvation known to you and to cause you to welcome that salvation into your heart and respond and be saved. This is God's gift to Jesus. We, His church... We, his church, the bride of Christ, are the reward of God the Father to the Son who before the creation of the world offered his life that you and I may have salvation. That's the theological background to why Paul could call on Yodia, Yodia and Syntyche to get their act together. That's the theological background to all of this. So, having said all of this, let me just make two quick points this morning. Having your citizenship in heaven, having me, uh, by God's grace, having my citizenship in heaven, and now able to stand firm, verse 1, in the Lord, mentioned three times in the first two verses, two big changes will occur in your life. All right? We're just looking... This morning to talk about two big changes because of all of this. And the first change is this. You will stop living down to your old earthly desires and start living up to what you have already attained in Christ. I'm doing a little bit of overlap from last week because I was kind of hurried at the end and I didn't get the time that I wanted to put into this very important section of the scriptures and it ties together so importantly verse 1 of chapter 4 is kind of a swing verse therefore knowing that your citizenship is in heaven how are you going to act and that swing verse in verse 1 talks about basic behavior between brothers and sisters so this important issue and this important matter of the distinction that is established here in this section, verses 17 through verse 21, is critically important. There are those who, who are citizens of heaven and there are those who remain earth dwellers. Not connected to the living God. Their destiny is destruction, verse 19. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Eugene Peterson calls it the beast world behavior. 
When Paul was writing this letter, I'm pretty convinced, and, and uh, as are a number of, of scholars, are pretty convinced that he had in his mind the situation in Corinth. The Corinthian church were not living and conducting themselves in a way that was bringing honor and glory to God. In many ways, the Corinthian church was a huge disappointment to Paul. They were a church nevertheless, and they were believers, but they were struggling in their conduct because they had become misguided in what salvation brought to them. And brothers and sisters, we are watching Corinth unfold around us in the present evangelical church today again. So Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, he's very concerned that I don't want you guys to become like Corinth. In, 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 in Corinth, they had come to the completely incorrect idea that Jesus, the salvation that Jesus had brought to them, was freeing them to live in any way they pleased. That somehow salvation was getting them a, a free, get out of hell card free, and their sins were now forgiven so that they could live in any sinful way they chose. And so their appetites remained very grounded on earth. They continued to be enthusiastic about the same appetites that they were rescued from or allegedly were supposed to have been theologically rescued from. So this whole kingdom of God and citizenship that Paul's writing now is, is, to, is to get in front of the potential that the Philippians might get the same idea that they were now free to live any way they want. The very first part of Jesus' ministry was his, his um, excursion into the wilderness at the direction of the Holy Spirit, where he would be tempted. You know this, Matthew chapter 4. And in that temptation, he was tempted to be a materialist. He was tempted to be successful. And he was tempted to grab power. Each of those temptations, he rejected and overcame on our behalf and saved us that we might be empowered to reject the same temptations of materialism and success and power. I feel sad, I, I feel very sad in my heart for people who clamor to go to churches called evangelical, where they are taught to be even more anchored in their appetites for earthly things than they were before they came to know Christ, where they are taught to be materialists, they're taught to look for high success, and they're taught to, be, to look for power and authority. And here we have Paul writing and saying their destiny is destruction. 
if you are going to continue to have appetites for what is below, earth dweller kind of stuff, beast lover kind of stuff, beast world stuff, you have missed the point of your salvation. Jesus Christ came to set you free from your sins, not free to indulge your fleshly appetites. Critically important. We have these, these, this idea around us that, that Christianity is now some supersized new deal with fleshly desires that are now somehow sanctified. It's now blessed to be greedy, privileged, and selfish. Expect God to serve our every whim. We wave a magic wand over all of our wishes and God makes them come true. God makes us exempt from all suffering, uh, even though his son was not exempt, nor has any Christian in all of the history of the scriptures been exempt. And so you have this same reality reaching its way all the way back to Revelation 13, where we look where the Antichrist, the beast, comes out and offers these same things to the earth dwellers. Materialism, prosperity, authority, power and it's in that context that the living christ in the in his revelation of the book of revelation says these are characteristics of those whose names are not written in the book of life so do not gloss over this section quickly it's incredibly important we have this gigantic problem that's continuing to resurface itself historically as it cycles through the church. Failing to make the Christian connection of our disconnection to the world and the things of the world which are passing away. And we in our churches so subtly allow things to creep in. Things that are not of the Lord but are superstition. We so quickly gravitate to coincidence of words and numbers and thoughts that are not from God's word and say, this must be God speaking to me. We are so hungry and thirsty for the mystical and the magical and the mysterious that we are cutting loose our, our commitment to the word of God and embracing Things below and not things above. The trappings of the world repackaged in some sort of blessed forms of incantations like Christian tea leaf reading, repackaged as prayers, not words of God, words of my selfish heart. taking verses entirely out of context, like by his stripes we have been healed, and declaring that the salvation and atonement is God's declaration over us of good health. The context of this is we have been set free from sins. We've been healed of our sinfulness. 1 Peter 2, 24 I fear that you will not pay attention to me unless I read it from the Bible. 
And I'm happy with that. I'm okay with that. He, 2 Peter, or sorry, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And Peter establishes the interpretation of the Isaiah text when he adds, For by his wounds you have been healed. Healed of your sins, not of your health challenges. Although God may choose to cause the eschaton to break in and bring healing to your body. We pray for that, and rightly so. But it is not promised by the atonement. That's flawed theology. It's important for us not to have our appetites so grounded in the flesh that we miss the truth of our citizenship as kingdoms of in the kingdom of heaven. So you want to be rich? Be rich in good works. 1 Timothy 6.18 You want to be successful? Be successful in serving in the kingdom of Christ. Matthew 20 verse 28 You want to be healthy? Be healthy in righteousness, as Peter calls it. Dying to our sins. You want to be totally set free? Be set free from sins. You want to be powerful? Be powerful in the results of his resurrection power that brings to life things that were formerly dead that you might serve Christ. You want to boast? Boast that you know and understand God in Jeremiah chapter 9. You want to boast, boast in your weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in you and he may deliver you from the world and its passions which are passing away, 1 John 2, 17. This is the distinction of conducting ourselves like citizens of heaven. If you actually think you are a citizen of heaven, if you actually know in your heart of hearts you are a citizen of heaven, then live with values of heaven, not entrenched in the values of this earth. This is the plea, this is the appeal that Paul is making here in the text. When was it that the masses left Jesus? John 6, when did the masses leave Jesus? And why do so many people gravitate to the churches that seek to sanctify this supersized appetite for the flesh? In John 6, verse 60, Jesus had just finished teaching them that unless they totally commit their entire lives and being to him, they could not be his disciples. On hearing it, many of his, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he, he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. 
and many walked away from him. So stand firm, verse 1 of chapter 4. Stand firm on these teachings. Stand firm in the conduct that is becoming a citizen of heaven. With the assets you have already received because Christ has conquered for you. What you have received positionally now practice in your life. Minds free from the addiction to earthly things that you might serve the living Christ and that your passions and your values might be on things above. Like-minded with believers to contend for the cause of the gospel. So the second, as he swings into this conduct now, he finds himself in a dispute between Euodia and Syntyche. And these are, yes, drumroll, ladies. These are two ladies in the church. How do I know that? No guy would ever have a name like Yodia and Syntyche. No, that's not how I know. That's not how I know. The Greek language is very helpful. It's very gender specific. These two names are in the feminine gender. So it's two ladies. It could be two men on any given Sunday. But in this particular situation, it's two women. Now think about this, ladies, and having a dispute with each other in the church. Can you imagine having your names immortalized forever? Can I just say to you that this is a very serious matter? We, we can joke at the front end a little bit, but I'm going to get serious with us. For the Apostle Paul to name two ladies at odds in a letter that was to be read publicly in the church, he not knowing that that letter would be read in this church today, but the Lord knew, this is a really serious matter. And, and there's an important reality in the name thing. The reason I started this whole sermon about your name recorded in the Lamb's book of life. God knows your name. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows what scuffle you've got going on with a brother or a sister. And the names are very important. And, and Paul is saying, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're not conducting yourselves in a manner fitting those whose names are in the book. Yodia, Sintiki, here's the deal. As I look up in the balcony this morning, I'm feeling really... Sorry for the people who are sitting on those plastic chairs. So, if it gets really uncomfortable, which I'm sure it is getting by now, and you just need to stand up, I won't get nervous or unnerved. Just go ahead and stand up. Because I know it's hard sitting on those chairs. There's two realities of church that makes church life difficult. One... Jesus calls sinners to repentance. 
Okay, we're, we're not nice people. We weren't nice people. Jesus calls sinners to repentance. And the second thing that makes for a challenge in a church is this. That we are plunked together by God. He didn't, and he didn't ask us to send up our preferred guest list of the people that we'd like to hang out with. See, that's your friends. You, you get to pick your friends, but you inherit your family. And we've just inherited each other. God just plunked us together right here at the corner of Rosalind and Ritson. And we have to get along together. A bunch of sinners, not nice people, saved by grace, called to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Family, not friends on a preferred guest list. So let's stop being shocked or overly apologetic when our expectations fail for each other. But this is what must change among us. If we are in the book of life, we will stop fighting with our heavenly family and start placing greater value on the fellowship of like-mindedness in Christ. One of the immediate changes that the gospel makes as um, Peterson writes in his book, is grammatical. We instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me. That's what the Bible looks like. So here Paul says, I plead, I urge, it's urgent. This is an urgent issue. Unity, Paul writes, is of greater value than having your own way. I, I plead with them to agree with each other in the Lord. How can we do this? He puts that phrase there, in the Lord. Stand firm, verse 1, in the Lord. Agree with each other in the Lord. We can do this because we have now been placed in the Lord and the Lord has been placed in us. And this is when joy happens. That you know the theme of this book is conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's how joy happens. And this is how, and this is when joy happens. The passion of people getting along together. More important than any project we ever do is how together we really are. In our training for evangelism or whether it's gathering funds for a, a, a radio kit to send to some other country or whether it's doing things together in terms of church plants or sending a team somewhere like Bolivia or renovating the church. The, the real joy for the Lord is when we do it together in like-mindedness and, and agree in our thinking together. This is what is Christ-like. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we, we, we are launched into the, the Christ attitude, which is your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. 
Having the mind of Christ as God's people means humility and sacrifice rather than arrogance and self-centeredness. It's the opposite. What causes fights among us? It's not humility and sacrifice, I can tell you that. It's arrogance and self-centeredness. And by the way, when we are called upon to agree in our thinking, we are to agree in our thinking by having the mind of Christ in this, it becomes for each of us, this matter, a test of our nearness to Christ. I'm sorry, but at this moment, Euodia and Syntyche were not walking closely with the Lord. And they were, they were demonstrating it to everybody in the church. And these were people who had contended with Paul by his side in the cause of the gospel. And he calls them to be together in their behavior. It says NIV along with, but the word there is together. Help these women who've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with or together with in our behavior. Specialize in living where you are going. Not in where you have always been. That's what the call is here. So, um, in this matter of getting along, and in this matter of calling out publicly, Yodia and Syntyche, there's this urgency that we perhaps should pay attention to our own lives. Thomas Rayner, in, in an article entitled, How to Deal with a Church Disruptor, outlines six key traits to watch for as to whether you are one or are not. So, I hope your names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. I hope you are not one of these people. So, here goes. The church disruptor often seeks positions in a church so he or she can get attention. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't seek a position in the church. It just means, what are your motivations? Second, he or she often votes no in business meetings. Third, he or she loves to say, people are saying. He or she wants to make the issue seem more widespread than it really is. You ever bumped into those people? Oh, people are saying. You mean you, yourself, and I. He or she tries to get followers at the church for his cause of the moment. <clears throat> Number five, he often assures the pastor and other church leaders how much he loves them and supports them and then stabs them in the back. He loves to use facts loosely for his cause or case because accuracy is neither required nor expected of the church disruptor. Are you one? Paul, just quickly, dealing with disruptors, did this. Do you notice he says, plead with both Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. He handles them evenly. Doesn't take sides. He says, I plead with her and I plead with her. That's important. Both given an equal request. 
Notice as well, he says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, we don't know who that is. Some people have said that's another person by the name of Syzygus. There's another name we probably won't hear in the nursery very soon. Syzygus. Hello, Syzygus. Yes, and I ask you, loyal Syzygus, help these women who have contended at my side. He seeks to involve a mediator. Calls on someone trusted to help. That's what he said in Corinth. Isn't there anybody in Corinth who knows the Lord well enough that they're going to adjudicate the cases between brothers and sisters? Come on. You have to take it to the courts? And then notice what else he says. And these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He highlights what is honorable in each one of these women. Even-handedly seeks a mediator and seeks to honor their commitment to the Lord and his cause. And present the case to them that the way you are living at odds with each other is jeopardizing the gospel. So stop it. Instead, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Beloved, are you using Jesus to legitimize your true affections for this world? Stop it. It's not conduct becoming a citizen of heaven. Are you at odds with one of your brothers or sisters? Causing the gospel to be in jeopardy? Stop it. It's not conduct becoming a citizen of heaven. Our Father, I pray this morning, as you have instructed us, that we will take very seriously these two changes that are called for in the life of true believers, in the life of true citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So would you, Lord, I pray, uh, as you search our hearts and as we search your, our hearts with you, if there be any way in us that is conduct unbecoming one whose name is written in the book of life, by your grace and mercy and strength and power, Lord, would you release us from that? And would you turn our hearts toward heaven? As we look heavenward, because our, this earth is not our home, we really are just passing through. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Whenever someone comes into our midst from another country, another place, they bring the look of their customs and their culture to us, and we know they're from somewhere else. We are called to be citizens of heaven, wherever we go, we should bring something different, something else to people as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Lord's Prayer really means, that your kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven, that we might represent the citizens of heaven. So if you're having a problem extricating yourself from the appetites of this earth and flesh, or having problems getting along with your brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're not living up to the citizenship called heaven. It's either one of two things. Either you aren't a citizen of heaven,
heaven, in which case you need to come to know the Lord as your Savior and be brought into the kingdom of light and life. Or you're just simply living away from the Lord. You're not walking with Christ. Either way, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the living God calls us for change in our lives. So let's make certain that our appetites are heaven-bound, that our citizenship is very different than the people around us, that they might notice. And let's love one another and get along with one another and agree with one another in the Lord that they might see we are different. Our Father, I pray this morning, by the power of the living God, through your word into our hearts, that you would change us transform us remake us into the image of Christ that our appetites might be lofty that we might look above that we might stop living for the things below that we might live as citizens of our heaven oh Lord and that we might love one another and get along with one another that we might be united together in Christ in the Lord that the cause of the gospel may go forward. I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.